At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here, in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. And I'm so thankful um, that here at Woodside we're able to share some of the stories of what God is doing in the lives of his people. And I know as I look around this room, there are lots of you that have great and amazing testimonies that, that God is at work. And for that, we're thankful. And I'm so glad you've come out today. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we can get a chance to celebrate the Lord and what he's doing, but also get a chance to uh, dive in together into his word and, and be encouraged by that. And so I thank you for being here. It's good to see some, some new faces. Some of you I don't recognize, and that's okay. Hopefully I'll get a chance to get to know you. Uh, but it's good to see some familiar faces. Uh, so welcome. And it's good to see some that are coming back that have been gone for a while, and now you're back. So thank you for being here. All right, so this morning as we're getting ready to dive into God's Word, I got a, got a question for you. So like when you get together for family meals, I'm talking not like the family that's in your home, but like extended family meals. When you get together as uh, aunts and uncles and cousins, when everyone gets together, uh, when you get together, do you guys have a, like an adult table and then a kid's table? Some of you do, some of you don't. That's all right. Yeah, we, uh, in my family, uh, we would only have adult tables and kid tables when we got together with everybody. And I'll never forget, there was this one time growing up that uh, we were at, um, at an aunt's house that was out of town, and not only did we have like a kid table and adult table, there was an adult room and a kid room. They wanted to get those kids out of there as much as possible, and uh, it just so happened that that year, I like just missed the mark. My older brothers and sisters, they got a chance to go to the adult table, and I was stuck there at the kid table. And I remember, like, the feeling in my heart. I was like, I'll give a, my left kidney just to be in that room because I know they're talking about cool stuff. I can hear them laughing. I can hear them joking. And I'm stuck here with all these babies. And I was so mad, and I was so frustrated, and I felt left out. Have you ever felt left out? Right, we know that there's, there's so much power around the table when we connect and we, we share because there around the table, it's a place where we kind of let our guards down, right? It's a place where we're known. It's a place where we, we share stories. It's a place where we, we connect. And I know in my own home that around the table is a, a special place. It's a special time. And we try to guard that time as much as possible as a family. It's a time where we get a chance to hear more than like, how was your day at school? okay. It's a time to like press into that and, and to, to speak into that. And so I value um, that, that time around the table. And we normally don't, uh, sometimes we invite strangers into our home and, and have meals with strangers. Uh, but quickly the goal is to make strangers friends, right? We want to gather around the table so that we can get to know each other, get to know each other's stories and get to know each other's lives. And so uh, the table is an important place in my life. And especially now as, as my family, this pace of our lives, because I've got four teenage daughters, we're like running a million miles an hour in four million different directions. And uh, it's, sometimes it's difficult to get us all together for dinner, um, but we still strive for that and still enjoy that time together. 
You may be like, well, what are you talking about all this food stuff? I'm like hungry. What are we going to do for lunch? And some of you are probably already thinking where you're going to go. What's the talk about all this food? Well, I want us today, as we're starting a new series entitled Soul Food, we're going to take the next few weeks as we walk towards Easter, and we're going to track through Jesus' life, and we're going to see how Jesus used the dinner table or mealtime as an opportunity to advance his mission to advance uh, his kingdom and to share with those. And what we're going to find as we walk through this series, we're going to see the types of people that Jesus would invite to his table. The who, how Jesus, whom he invited in to have meals with him and to share those close times with him. What's going to be interesting that we're going to see as we walk through this is that as we, we learn more about the mission that Jesus had in his life, we see a lot of things from the Gospels. And clearly there are three times in Scripture that tells us exactly why Jesus came. The first one we come across is in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So we see that. One of the reasons Jesus came is because he wanted to serve and to give up his life for the ransom of many. The second one we come across is in Luke chapter, 7, verse 9, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus came with the mission to seek those that were lost. And then the third we find in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. It says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Now what's interesting about these, these, these three uh, passages, or the three verses that focus in on why Jesus has come, is that the first two focus in on his mission. Like, why did he come? What was the purpose for him being here? Right? To seek and to save the lost. And he come not, came not ser- seeking to be served, but to serve so that he could give his life for many. But then we look at the third one, and we see this is more of the how he came. What was his method for caring about his mission? And we see that the third verse says that he came eating and drinking. So Jesus came with the purpose of meeting people across the dinner table, sharing a meal together. That was his way of caring about his mission. And what's amazing is if we we are reminded today that God, through Christ, has given us a mission. Right? We're to go and make disciples of all nations. But how are we to do that? We see the what. But I'm going to submit to you through this series, what we're going to see is there's power, there's powerful ministry opportunities across the table as we sit down with people and sharing meals together. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Like, I love to eat, and I don't even know if you realize how much of our days are spent um, caring for and thinking about food. Right, we have to plan what we're going to have for breakfast. And then as soon as you're done with breakfast, you're automatically starting to think about what's for lunch and how you're going to get it and what you're going to make and whatever like that. And then as soon as that's done, you're like, okay, we've got dinner coming. And so most of our days, much of our days, our time and, and our, our mind and our thoughts go towards meals. But I don't know if you ever realize the intentionality and the opportunity that we have to live on mission for Jesus while eating. Well, this is what we're going to take a look at during this, this series together. Today, what we're going to see as we take a look at the, this gospel account in Luke chapter 5, is we're going to see that following Jesus means feasting with sinners. Following Jesus. If we're followers of Jesus, it means we need to spend time hanging out and eating with sinners. 
Today, as we look at this passage, we're going to find three ways in which Jesus went about doing this. So I'm going to read the account first, and then we'll begin to pick it apart. Uh, Luke chapter 5, beginning verse 27. It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, there are three things that we see Jesus doing as he uses the opportunity of a meal to continue out and carry out his mission. The first thing that we see about Jesus as he's living on mission is that Jesus finds sinners. Jesus goes and finds sinners. The, the character that we see here in this passage, we learn a couple of things just about his background in the clues that the text gives us. First, we see that he's a tax collector. And next, we see that his name is Levi. Those two things are very, very significant in understanding the reality of what's taking place in this passage. First, let's take a look at his name, Levi. Levi means that he was most likely born of the priestly family that came from the, the, the priestly clan. Remember, of all the clans uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel, one were the Levites. And the Levites were called out from God's people and set aside to care for temple worship. And so with Levi comes from that clan, and we see that his family, uh, his family job or his family role that was given to him was to care for temple worship. But we know that Levi does not take up that family pro uh, profession because we see, secondly, that he is a tax collector. Now, being a tax collector in this day was not a noble profession. It was actually a despised um, position. People weren't, uh, pe many people didn't grow up hoping to be tax collectors, uh, but some did. And in this case, we see that Levi did. Now, what's important about this role of being a tax collector, we have to understand what's taking place culturally at this time. Remember, Israel is God's chosen land for God's chosen people. And at this time in history, what's taking place is the Roman Empire has come and has occupied this foreign land. And so we see there are Roman soldiers in the streets of Jerusalem and throughout the area of, of Israel. Now Rome is there and now is present. And these tax collectors, what they were doing is they were collecting taxes so that they could, so could go to pay for the Roman guards that were there occupying their land. Now think about how crazy that would be. Like the person that's a tax collector, is that someone that you welcome into your home? Imagine for a moment, heaven forbid, but imagine for a moment that Russia comes and invades the United States. And then I come to your house as a, as a tax collector and I say, hey, you got to give me money so that we can use your money to go pay for this Russian army that's down the street. How's that going to make you feel? Right? You're not going to love me, right? You're going to despise me. So in much the same way, this is the role of a tax collector. We also see that as a tax collector, he at this time, Levi is sitting at a booth. And what that means is that Levi himself was sitting at the place typically outside the city. And as travelers would come and go in and out of the city, those tax collectors at the city gate would collect a tax 
from those entering, kind of like a toll. So if you want to come into the city, you have to pay a tax. If you want to leave the city, you have to pay a tax. And portion of the tax that, uh, that Rome required would go to help Rome, but the other, however much more the tax collector could get from you, he got a chance to pocket himself. So many tax collectors were, were not honest people. They were despised by everyone. They were seen from, even as an Israelite, Levi was seen as a dishonest robber who was also a, a collaborator with the Roman government, and he was an extortionist. So he is not a man that is deeply loved. Now, what do you also think about this just for a moment? Like, so Levi is one of the, the called disciples, I don't know how Jesus did it, but have you ever thought and, and, and looked at all the disciples that Jesus collected together as his 12 disciples? Like how eclectic that group was? Right, so you have Levi, who is a tax collector, who is hated by most people. He's now a disciple. Do you remember some of the other disciples? Right, weren't there two zealots? Do you remember the zealots? Who were the zealots? The zealots were a kind of like a, a political sect within the, the Israelite people that were plotting a coup against the Roman Empire. Right? They hated Rome so much that they, they um, got themselves together and had some uprisings and tried to, to start some rebellion against the great, mighty, evil empire. Like you've got those that are now disciples of Jesus that are following Jesus. And then you've got this tax collector over here. And then you've got these fishermen, right? These fishermen are also just like crude guys that, you know, lived among the fish and did all those crazy things. But the fishermen also hated tax collectors because a lot of times what would happen after fishermen would be out all night fishing, they'd come to the shore with all their fish and there would stand a tax collector collecting tax for the fish that they had just harvested, so you've, we've got to understand and appreciate like what Jesus is doing here. And this is one of the things that I love about Jesus. And if we look at the story of the disciples, the fact is, is that everyone is accepted by Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what political affiliation you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a cusser. It doesn't matter if you're a sailor. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves everybody. And we see on this day and this time, Jesus comes, Levi comes to Jesus' attention. We, we have to assume that Jesus has been observing Levi for some time in his life. And we don't know exactly how long, but on this day, Jesus approaches Levi, this sinner. And he comes to him and says, follow me. This is not some simple invitation to Levi. But God had been working in Levi's life in such a way that I have to believe that Levi, after making a mess of his life, knowing who he had become, was looking for a way out. He was looking for a way home and had no way to, to, to escape the life that he had created himself. And on this day, Jesus comes to him with invitation. And what we see in Levi's life is a perfect example of repentance. Levi had been living as a tax collector, going this direction with his whole life, determining his own path, fighting against his family, like not picking up the family business, saying, I'm gonna do my own thing my own way. And he'd been living his life that way. And I have to believe that his life was moving towards emptiness. And he began to see the devastation and destruction he was headed to. And then on this day, Jesus comes to him and Jesus says, follow me. And what does the text say? He did. 
Like immediately, Levi got up from the tax booth, turned his back on everything that he had done, and began following Jesus. This is a beautiful picture of repentance. You see, this decision that Levi makes on this day was not a simple spur-of-the-moment decision. Jesus was not inviting Levi to a birthday party. Jesus was not inviting him into something that, that was known, but he was inviting him to let go of everything, to leave it all there, and to take on a new life and a new identity. You see, what was more destructive, or not destructive, what, what was more devastating or dangerous for Levi in this day, you see, the, the fishermen that were following Jesus, right, if it didn't work out with Jesus, they could go back to fishing. But for Levi... For him to live, leave his life that he had developed was a big, big risk. Right? I imagine I come up to you and I'm like, hey, I got this job for you. But you got to leave everything behind and you just got to follow me. You would have questions, right? Like, you, you would have questions. You're like, okay, so what is it that you want me to do? Like, how am I supposed to, like, do you have a 401k? Does this come with benefits? Like, is there some way? Like, we would have questions if someone were to come to us and say, simply follow me. Like, let go of everything and just follow. Like, you would have reservations. Well, whatever it is in this case, in this time, Levi is willing to abandon all of that and follow Jesus. This invitation comes to him. So the world sees Levi as, as a tax collector. They see him as a traitor. They see him as a failure, as a human being. We see that Jesus sees Levi as a lost son who wanted to come home but didn't know how. And so Jesus goes to him, makes himself known to him, and gives him a way out. Jesus became himself the way back to God. We know that Jesus was the one sent from God so that sinful man would no longer have to be separated from a holy God, but through Jesus, that the two could become reunited once again. And I love how Levi responds by renouncing his own way, and he lives in repentance. And what does he do? Immediately after turning to Jesus, there's great joy. And so what does he do? He wants to have this massive feast. He wants to gather all of his associates together, everyone that he knows. And guess who he knows? He only knows sinners. That's all he knows. He knows other tax collectors and other sinners. And so what does he do? He says, come to my house because my life has been so radically changed in an instant by this man. You need to know this man too. You need to meet this man. And so Levi carries this big feast and Jesus is there reclining with sinners. This is a great tragedy to the world. Right? You don't do this in Jesus' time, in Jesus' culture. To sit with sinners was devastating. Why? Because in this day and time, in this culture, what would happen is whomever you chose to sit at the table with, you were affirming their life. That's the way it worked. If you, if you sat with rich people, you were affirming the rich person's life. If you, if you sat with the poor people, you were affirming poor people's life. And what Jesus is doing, this religious leader is, is seen by the world, is now coming and he's sitting with sinners. And this is the second thing that we see. 
is that Jesus feasts with sinners. Levi makes this great feast, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. This was devastating to the Pharisees. This was shocking to the Pharisees. This was so controversial to the Pharisees because they had a warped view of holiness. You see, the Pharisees understood holiness as something that was only concerning about, about the outside, not the inside. Right. So I remember as a child, I got a brand new pair of white canvas tennis shoes. Anyone ever had a pair of white canvas tennis shoes? Like, you know, like those are beautiful shoes, and, and, but you also know when you wear white shoes, you have to protect them, right? Because if you go out in the world, immediately you get on the world, like you may come across some dirt. You may come across some mud. You may come across a spilling your, your pop. And so you've got to be like on your guard the whole time for your white shoes, right? And you're protecting them from the world. You don't want the world to engage your white shoes because as soon as they do, they're going to make them dirty, this is much the same way that the Pharisees saw holiness. They didn't want dirty people to mess up their white shoes. Does that make sense? And so instead of engaging the lost, instead of engaging those that were sinful, they separated themselves from those that were sinful. They wanted nothing to do with those sinful people because they knew that they would mess with their white shoes. Jesus understood holiness in a very different way. See, Jesus understands that holiness is on the inside. It's not on the outside. It's in the heart. So imagine for a moment you had a white fabric heart inside of your, your, your life, right? That's, it needs to be pure, it needs to be undefiled and all that, but it lives inside. And if it lives inside of you, and guess what? You go roll around in dirt, is that gonna change your pure heart? Absolutely not. It's going to do nothing to your holiness. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus here is moving towards those that are sinful, those that are not holy, because he understands it's not going to do anything to his holiness. It's not going to impact him in a negative way. And this is exactly what the, the, um, the religious leaders thought. They're like, what is Jesus doing hanging out with these dirty and defiled people? See, I think the Pharisees here show us one of the ways in which the church, you and I, have been guilty of dealing with the sinful worlds. See, I think there are two ways in which we, we as the church need to guard ourselves against following in the trappings that we see in Scripture. There, there are two ways in which we understand that we are to live in the world, right, and not be of the world, but how is it that we as the church engage the sinful world? Well, some say we must take the separatist approach. And, and, and that is to say, like, we as the church must, must become insulated and isolated because everything that goes on out there is evil and it's wicked and we don't want to have any part of that, but we need to stay in our holy huddle. Right? Hey, how many of you guys grow up uh, with the understanding of, like, don't hang out with people that drink, smoke, cuss, and dance? You ever remember? That was my household. Like, you don't hang around those types of people, right? Because if you hang around with those types of people, those people are sinners, and somehow they're going to impact you and influence you so that you become a smoker, a drinker, a cusser, a card player, and a dancer. Like, that, that would be, how many of you guys, 
like play cards and I'm not going to ask you any of that. Right? Like, don't be one of those types of people. This is that mentality of the Pharisees. And God forbid the church takes on that posture way too many times. Right? We've got to stay away from all those people because those people are bad. Well, guess what? Those people are sinners in their need of salvation. And for us to withhold salvation, the opportunity to be saved from them means that we're the evil ones because we have the answer. The second way that the world, the church has dealt with the world, and I think a way that has been very damaging, is by taking a syncretistic approach. And what I mean by that is, as Christians, we want to go to the darkness, we want to go to where sinners are, and we participate in sinful behavior in a way of saying, hey, I'm going to be with them. I, I'm going to go to the bars. I'm going to go to those places. I'm going to go to the evil places, and I'm going to be present there. But what happens in a syncretistic view is that you become that which you were a part of. And the problem with that is there becomes no distinction between the non-believer and the believer. And so the person that's a syncretistic Christian that's engaged in the places of darkness, the people that they are engaged that are in darkness see no distinction between their life, their life and the other person's life. And so they've got, they say to themselves, I've got no need for Jesus. Why would I want to follow Jesus if you and I are the same? You see the problem? You see the danger? Right, we, we're not called to be separate from the world. We are called to be holy. Right, but, but remember, holiness resides on the inside, not on the outside. So because holiness resides on the inside, we have the opportunity to go to the darkness. But we don't go to the darkness so that we're overcome by the darkness, but we go to the darkness to rescue those that are in darkness. Our call is to go to them and pull them out of darkness and bring them into the light with the message of Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus did himself. The goal is to engage the world in order to rescue people, not become like the people we're supposed to rescue. Does that make sense? This is how we are to live. We are called not only to open our homes and invite people in, but we're also called when the invitation comes from someone that is living in darkness to go to them. Right? There are times in which people in your life that don't yet know Jesus will come to know you and they will invite you into their life. They'll invite you to something. Let's be like Jesus and let's go. Let's just not assume that just because the doors of the church are open that people are going to come. Because I guess what? I don't know if, if you remember what it was like to be lost. This is an intimidating place. This is a very, very difficult place for someone that doesn't know Jesus to come and be this, let this be their initial conversation with Jesus. Right? Do you remember what it was like to come to church when you were lost? Do you remember how intimidating it was even to come into that front door? Right? I've, I've met so many people that are like, hey, I, I can't go to church because of the things that I've done. As soon as I, as soon as I walk in those doors, I know the per place is just going to burn down. Right? You know those people? This is an intimidating place. And especially think about someone that, that's coming for the first time and they sit down and, and they look around and they're like, why is everyone doing Christian karaoke? Why, is they, why are they, you guys will get that later. 
Right? To them, that's all they see. They don't understand worship. And then they, they're sitting there, and then they're like, everyone's standing and sitting and saying, I don't, when am I supposed to stand? When am I supposed to sit? I feel so awkward. I don't know. When. This is an intimidating place. Let us not forget that the likelihood of someone meeting Jesus for the very first time in this place is rare. It happens. But, it, but that's a mighty move of the Lord. That's a miracle of the Lord to draw someone here that doesn't know Jesus. And he does that. But I want to submit to you today that as we follow the pattern of Jesus, that we should be meeting people where they're at, not expecting them to come here in order to be like us, but let us take the gospel message where people are, where they feel comfortable. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Third, as we look at this passage, We see Jesus fulfills his mission at the table. Look at me in verse 30. It says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered him, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You see, this truly highlights, this the way in which the, the Pharisees see what's taking place, this truly highlights the hypocrisy that had developed into their lives. You see, the, disciples, the, the Pharisees were there from God. They were to be um, instruments from the Lord, to be a doorway for people to come to know God. But instead, now because of tradition and other things, they had become the stumbling block. They had become a roadblock. No one could come to God because they had to go through the Pharisees and they had to live up to the Pharisees' standards in order to be right with God according to to their way of living. And what we see is these Pharisees were full of deep convictions, but their convictions were not found in truth. They were trying to fight for the ethical purity and the religious truth that they had believed. So they were standing there saying, Jesus, you should not be with these sinners because they're going to defile you. They're going to create distance between you and God. So instead, come over to us. Let us make you clean. Let us deem you clean and then live like us. And Jesus is like, no, no, you completely misunderstand his purpose. You completely misunderstand. It's, it's as though Jesus says, I'm not like that. I'm more like a doctor, right? Like imagine you're in, in the doctor's office and the doctor comes in he says, man, we've run some tests, and it's not good. Like, 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 there's a thing inside of you that's growing that's killing you, and you're, like, headed towards death. You get that news as you're sitting there in that doctor's office. What's your response? Right, you're like, hey, okay, doc, well, how, do we, how do we care for this? What do, what do we do? Like, is there some kind of pill I can take? What do we got to do to get this, to get me better? I mean, I don't want to die. And the doctor looks at you in the square in the eye. And he's like, there's nothing you can do about it. This is terminal. You, you, there's nothing, you can't eat healthy. You can't live healthy. You can't cut out sweets. And so there you rest in your inability to save yourself. You're, you rest in the fear of knowing that you are headed towards destruction. But then the doctor says, all you gotta do is believe in me and I will make you well. This is what Jesus says he's come to do. Helping people understand, first of all, we need to understand that we're sinners. 
we need to understand that we are rebels against God. Until we get to that point, Jesus has nothing for us. You may be sitting here today and you're like, hey, I don't really have that, my life's not really that bad. Uh, Newsflash, you're apart from Christ, you're headed towards an eternal punishment in hell because you're a sinner. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus and Jesus came to be completely obedient to God the Father every step of the way. But Jesus came because he wanted to be a sacrifice for your sins. The Bible tells us God, God is a just God and God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. If he, if he just took your sin and like pressed it under the rug and said, ah, that's no big deal, God would not be just. Sin has to be punished. Your sin has to be punished. There's a penalty that has to be paid. And either you're going to pay it yourself when you die, or you can trust in Jesus. For on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. You know why he absorbed the wrath of God? Because he became sin. All of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. The Bible tells us he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. A glorious exchange took place on the cross. Jesus took your sin. Jesus took your shame. Jesus took your penalty. And then Jesus died. And when through his death, he took the penalty of all of the, of, of the sin of the world and then God saw his sacrifice was enough and God raised Jesus from the dead. And now Jesus is alive. And by doing that, he put to death, death and put away the penalty of sin. But that penalty of sin being put away is only for those that believe in Jesus. Only for those that have come to the place of saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I pray that you've come to that place today. Because if you have then you are forgiven. And if you have, you are a child of God. And if you have, you're called to live on mission. You're called not to just keep your salvation to yourself, but we're called to go to the dark places in the world and to share the love of Jesus Christ with those that don't yet know him. So the response today to the message is two, twofold. First, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your response today is to repent to turn from the life that you've been living and turn to Jesus. The second response today is for those of us that are believers, let us be reminded of the great opportunity that we have to live on mission around the table. And let us follow Jesus' example by going to find those that don't yet know Jesus. Let us spend time with them, getting to know their hurts, getting to know their needs, and then spending time interjecting the gospel message in their lives and seeing them come to know Christ. Now this time of the year, as we walk towards Easter, God does something strange that I don't understand, but he does it every year. In this time of year, God has begun stirring in the hearts of people. As we get closer and closer to Easter, people become more aware of like spiritual things or they have more spiritual questions. And this is the time of year, like you and I should have our like spiritual senses heightened. We're like, God, this is the, if you're doing this, then help me be prepared to be ready to engage because I know you have put people in my life that don't yet know you and you've called me to go to them. And so what we wanna do here at Woodside is help you be prepared for that. We, we want to give you the tools that you need in order to be a vessel for God. One of the ways 
in which you can prepare and, and be ready is through this book. It's called A Meal with Jesus. And uh, you might be able to find a, a hard copy of this through Amazon or someplace online, but more than likely, you're not going to be able to find a copy, but it is available in an audiobook. So I encourage you to go find this, and as we're going through this sermon series, uh, this book will be a great companion to the series, as it'll actually give you more practical ways in which to use the meal or use the table as an opportunity to, to share the mission uh, of Jesus to, um, to communicate that. Also, we have some other tools for you. First of all, we have this available out in our lobby. Um, it is how to prepare and be ready to invest and invite as we move towards Easter. If you'd like to, there is a QR code there that you can um, scan with your, your phone or whatever, and it'll take you to a website. And if you, at the website, you can click on our campus, drop it down, and then you'll see all the information about our services that are coming up on Good Friday and Easter. But also you'll hear a, little, a few more examples of how we move towards investing and inviting during uh, this Easter season. And one of it, one part is, is by preparing. We prepare, we can read um, the book. There's also an Easter devotion that's coming out that you can sign up for and walk through that. So prepare your heart um, to be used by God. And then invest. Begin thinking, prayerfully considering those that God has placed in your life uh, that don't yet know him. And uh, then you begin praying for them and begin spending time with them, investing in them, and then inviting them. Inviting them to church, inviting them into a relationship with Jesus, spending the time to do that. We also have available for you as you are looking towards, moving towards the inviting. Uh, we have little business cards that look like this with our Easter and Good Friday service information on them. And then we also have postcards. I encourage you to pick up these on your way out and just have them available uh, for you know, when you go to lunch with someone or you're hanging out with someone. Uh, pull that card out and just use it as an opportunity to uh, invite them. And one of the greatest things that you can do, this is what I encourage you to do, as you, as you find yourself inviting people to church, um, take them to lunch afterwards. If you, need, if you need help financially taking someone to lunch, let me know. We'll, we'll cover your lunch. Um, but we want you to spend time with people. So invite someone to church. When they come to church with you or they meet you here, invite them to lunch. And when you go to lunch, just have a simple conversation. Like, hey, what'd you think about the service today? What was one of the things that, um, that you found interesting? What's one of the things that you found different? What about the sermon? What was it about the sermon? Was there something about the sermon that you had questions about? Something that you'd like? Something that you didn't like? But just have that simple conversation with them because you just, they've just come from church. So you get an opportunity just to take that next step. But I tell you, church, this is a season in, in our lives and in history that God doesn't want us sitting on the sofa. God wants us fully engaged on the front lines, going to the places that are dark, going to the places that are hard, because there are people there that desperately need to know Jesus. And if we don't tell them, nobody will. And so let us be proactive and let us be reminded that we're called to live on mission with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your words. Father, we're thankful for the fact that you showed us the way to live on mission. That you don't call us to live holy, perfect lives on our own, but that you came to us in our sin and our shame. And you came with a message of repentance. And you came seeking to rescue us from our sin. Father, thank you that now because of Christ, there is nothing that stands in the way between us and a holy God. And so, Father, I pray today, if there's someone here that doesn't yet know you, that they would today call on your name and be saved. 
But Father, for many of us, the response today is to be reminded that you've called us on mission. And Father, if we've neglected that mission or we've forgotten that mission or we've become too busy in other things to care for the mission, Father, I pray today you would convict us. But Father, I also pray that you would empower us today. Be reminded that all power and authority has been given to you and you give that power to us, to the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that you call us to live on mission. So Father, help us. If we found ourselves isolated and insulated from the world, Father, convict us, help us to confess, but then help us to get back out there. But Father, there may be also some here today that have been so caught up in the world that there now is no distinction between their lives and the lives of their unbelieving friends. Father, I pray that you would remind them that we are called to live different. We're called to go, but we're also called to live differently. And so, Father, I pray wherever we are today, in these moments as we sing this song and we're reminded of your love, that we would rest in your love today. And that as we rest in your love, we go from this place and we would share your love. Jesus, we do love you. And we pray, God, that we would see your kingdom come here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.